Every year, we kind of stop down from teaching through books of the Bible. That's what we normally do. And we focus and recalibrate on what it means to follow Jesus. In a sense, we do that every week, but in the month of January, we, we kind of put in some extra focus. Why are we really here? Understanding that we are disciples of Jesus, and the goal is that our, our whole lives would be submitted to being with him, being like him, and doing what he did. We say around here, whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus. So over the past couple of weeks, We've been looking at this through the lens of glory and good, that everything exists for God's glory, and then in an overflow of love uh, for your good, for my good. And the first week, we looked at the definition of glory, that it's this all-encompassing thing of all of the attributes in God kind of contained in one thing in the word that we call glory, that His glory existed uh, before creation, that it's self-sufficient, And now we see it perfectly manifested uh, in Christ, and then everything else, uh, even us to a degree, are a reflection of that glory. And then we looked at, given that, the posture of the created, of us and sons and daughters, is one of humility, that the the overwhelming nature of coming up against and, and beholding the glory of the Lord leaves no room but to be humble and the implications of that on how we view the world and how we interact with the world. God gives grace to the humble, but he what? He opposes the proud. And then last week, we moved from conceptual, if you will, into the practical in talking about prayer and fasting, that these practices that we see in Jesus and in his teachings are a part of the ongoing rhythm of what it means to follow Jesus and his We narrowed in on this practice of fasting and its role in shaping us. And then we had this transition, if you remember, uh, into the week of prayer and fasting as a family. We heard a powerful testimony, a a living letter, uh, I think it was said, of how God speaks and how he answers prayers. And what, even if we didn't want them to be answered, right? And what can happen when we submit our lives, our whole lives to following Jesus. And so we got to see both the glory of God in that, and we also got to see that it is for our good in in a testimony, and that's just really, really powerful. And so this morning, I want to look at a few things, but I want to start by by reading our text. So if you want to stand, we're going to look at Psalm 16, verse 5 through 11. And if you don't have your Bible, we will put it on the screen behind me. Psalm 16, verse 5 through 11. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You may be seated. So this week we're going to stay on the practical and I'm going to attempt to be interactive. So I hope that you have finished your coffee as we look at this question of what does it look like 
to set the Lord ever before me. Verse 8, that's going to be our focal point this morning. What does it look like to set the Lord ever before me? Uh, David is saying that, that here, and then there's a therefore all of these things follow. So we really want to focus on what is he talking about when he says to put, set the Lord ever before me. And as followers of Jesus, our go-to is what? In being with Jesus to see what he did, and then we're going to do that. That's what a disciple of Jesus does. See what Jesus did, and then we do that. And so I want to do a quick recap on spiritual disciplines or practices. Uh, you may have heard it said, these are the things that we see Jesus does, and we want to emulate that and then spend the majority of our time uh, today on a word that we see in Scripture a lot, this word to behold. And we're going to kind of spend some time there, which I believe is inerrant to what Jesus is doing, and it may even be the, the basis of it. And because to behold is to see something or observe, I'm going to use a lot of images today, and we're going to exercise a muscle some of us may not have used in a while, our creativity. Uh, and I want to warm us up by asking you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine a picture of Jesus. I want you to imagine Jesus, and it can be anything. What comes to your mind? Imagine a picture of Jesus. What's he doing? Now, Raise your hand if Jesus was smiling. Yeah, a few of us, yeah. I think it's easiest for us to get the glory part when we're talking about glory and good. I think that, that clicks for us in a sense, like the glory of God. But I think it's hard sometimes to, to, to really accept that, that this is also for our good. It's tough. But we know Jesus to be a joyful person, Right? He perfectly fulfilled what we just said, so we know he was joyful. Jesus was funny. Did you know that? The guy's super witty. If you don't get it, it's because he's that funny, right? <laughs> he loved to eat. The Gospel of Luke, one of the biographies of Jesus, he's typically, almost the whole book, he's going to a feast, he's feasting, or he's leaving a feast. Check it out. Let, man loves to feast. You know many people that love to feast that are sad? No? Right? <laughs> You know any solemn, sad, droopy people that children love running up to and playing with? No, no. Jesus was happy. But is Jesus happy with me? Like when he looks at me, is he smiling? Is a question. Yes, he is. Thank you, Flora. So we want to look at that this morning. As we consider these things, I want to look at what it means to set the Lord ever before us. And I think that you're going to find that that therefore is true that as we behold the glory of, the, of God, uh, that we realize that, that it's, it's for our good. It's for our good. So the first thing I want to do, just a quick recap on the practices of Jesus. The way of Jesus is not just a philosophy. It, it's not just like a truism. Um, it's a real thing. How did Jesus set the Lord always before him? We look at his life, and we see that he had some patterns to his life, did he not? He spent his day in a particular way. We call these things practices or disciplines. We've talked a lot about them here over the years, and it's self-evident in them that following Jesus actually requires your participation. We see Jesus praying, fasting. We know he knew the scriptures because a lot of what he said was actually just repeating things from the Old Testament. And he, added, he even added a few things uh, to that. He feasts, as we said. He Sabbaths. He gets out alone in silence and solitude and several other things. A disciple 
does everything their teacher does. That is what it means to be a disciple. And so we shape our lives by those, by those same things. But they can be kind of difficult, right? They, they require practice. I don't know if any of you ran into this this week when you were attempting to do fasting. Maybe that was a newer, a newer practice for you. It's not, it's not easy. You don't just walk in and then all of a sudden, you know, everything happens for you. There's a wrestle with that that happens over time. And so we, we do it carefully and we put practices in the right place. Practices are instruments. There is no value in the practice by itself, okay? So practices are not an end they are an instrument that God uses to form us and to change us, not just educate us, to change us over a long period of time on his timeline in his way, often over difficulty. They're not as, I think Kyle put it last week, it's not, it's not magic. It's not like a magic button where uh, we dial it up and we get what we want. So we have to be watchful of that. We have to help each other not treat these things as a formula to get what we want, a device where we put in the right code and then all of a sudden we have a moment or, or whatever it is, that's not what practices are. And it's easy to do. We can actually treat Sunday mornings as a kind of device. We want it to be a certain way. We want music to be a certain way. We want to dial it up in, in the way that we want to get what we want out of it. And so we've got to be careful. Even Sunday morning could be that, that kind of a thing. But these are instruments of participation in which we are changed by the Spirit's work. And like all instruments, they have to be handled with care Practicing the things that Jesus did is one way that we set the Lord always before us in what David was talking about. Another way that we do that, which may be at the center of a lot of the practices, uh, is the act of beholding. And that's what I want to spend the majority of the rest of our time on. You've heard this word, yes, to behold. It's a word that's actually all over our Bible. In, in our translation, it's 1,500 times that we see the word Behold, it comes from a Greek word that means be sure to see. So it's not just like look, it's be sure to see. And it happens a lot. And the key to this is that it's never about something that you did. Always about something that God did, always about something that he is doing. And in a lot of cases about what he is going to do. Some of the promises of God that, that Sam was talking about. But to behold something, you have to be what? You have to be present. You have to be paying attention. And this is something that we struggle with. Yes? Yes. We live in a busy, product, productivity, usefulness-driven culture. Hey, how you been? Man, I am busy. Man, I'm busy. Right? It reminds me of that Blaise uh, Pascal quote. Maybe many of you know this one. It's, all of humanity's problems stem from a man's inability to sit quietly alone in a room. Have you heard that? It's not in our disposition uh, to behold, because you have to be paying attention to do that. However, beholding, specifically beholding who God is and what he is doing, is a primary activity of a child of God, because it orients us to our place in the story. And then as we lose track, as we stop beholding and we step away from that, we lose track of who God is and what he's doing all around him. He moves from the center, and who moves into the center? Yeah, we do. Joy does not follow that. Joy does not follow us in the center. So beholding is how we fight that. It's a way that we set the Lord always before us. There's this quote I ran into, Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous uh, preacher out of, 
out of England. He says, there is only one way to get rid of self, and that is that you should become so absorbed in someone or something else that you have no time to think about yourself. Thank God, the Spirit of God makes that possible. How does the Spirit of God make that possible? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Leave that up there for a second. What is our role here? What are we doing? Beholding. And what is the Spirit doing? Transforming. Exactly. Yeah. And so, as we behold, when God creates something, His glory is reflected in it. What did God create? Everything. God created everything. It's not a trick question. So we see the Lord in everything, especially, especially in each other's stories, in the followers of Jesus, in their stories. If we behold what's going on around us in creation, in each other, and then we have the living word of God, this, it helps us make sense of and translate what it is that we're seeing. This is alive, and this, this works itself out in your life and in my life, and then we're able to understand what's happening with each other by understanding what, what's happening here. Does that make sense? So we're going to practice beholding. So you're going to participate, whether you like it or not. And I want to use art to do that, which I know some of you are thrilled with. And so here's the exercise. I'm going to show you a piece of art from my house. I picked four uh, pieces. That, that, that's all I had was four. <laughs> and uh, the art is from p- people in the, in the community. And I didn't ask them before I did this, so I'm not going to mention their names, but it's important and you'll see why. And so there's no wrong or right reasons here, but I want to behold the art and, and I want you to, to see um, what you see in it. I want you to see how the art, this is the only guardrail, so no wrong or right answers. See what you see about the glory of God in what I'm about to show you. And we're going to start uh, with a softball, and when I explain it, it'll make sense. So give me the, give me the first one, uh, please. So this is a cup. And it's a piece of pottery, and it's, it's an ancient Japanese way of making pottery where they take a broken piece of pottery and they put it back together using gold to form a new piece of pottery, okay? I'll give you 10 seconds on this one because this is, this is what do you see? Broken, put to get back together with gold. How does this reflect the glory of God? This is the gospel. I'll give it to you. This is the easy one, okay? This is the gospel. We're the pottery. Jesus is the gold. He makes us a new creation. He puts us back together. That's the essence of, that's the essence of the gospel. I had someone come out after the first service and said, you know what I saw when I saw this? It says, I want to be all gold. I want, I want Jesus to be so evident in my life. The whole cup is gold. And I thought, man, I've never thought of that. That's, that is, that is unbelievable. So we can see the glory of God in creation. Give me, the, give me the second one. What do you see here? So 
so I'm a sucker for sunsets. I don't, I don't know why. Anything with the sun and clouds are, are kind of a thing for me. And so uh, uh, this hangs in our, in our house. And when I see a sunset, I think of God as the ultimate artist. And I th- it reminds me that he makes beautiful things. Does he not? When I see this, I also think of the person who painted this particular one. Um, her and her husband, they, they go to places where you would see this kind of sunset. And they invest in the communities there, and they interact with people, and they share their lives with the peoples of these communities. And so when I see this, I think of how, how many different people get to see a view of a sunset and think that very same thing after interacting with this artist and her family. They love Jesus. And so when I see this painting, I think of that family. Next painting. What do you see here? This one is stunning, no? This is a water lily. What do you see? What I saw this week in this one, this changes for me on this one. I saw a contrast that we're to be a city on a hill and a light in the darkness. And so this reminds me of the contrast of the kingdom of God in a really broken world. The, the pink flower, the contrast. I also think of the person who painted this particular thing. The person who painted this is this painting, which is so cool. I bet she didn't know it when she was painting it. She is that. When she walks into a room, she brings light into that room because Jesus is at the center of her life. Her husband is the same way. I, I love Uh, this family. And so when I see this painting, I think about the glory of God because I think about the people that painted it. Next one. Last one. No, it's hard for some of you. What do you see? This one's a little tougher, a little more abstract. This is a landscape. Okay, so on this one, I see, uh, it's hard to tell in looking at the picture, but in the, in the real life one, uh, th- this painting is done with layers, and so you can kind of see these different layers within the painting. And when I see it, I think about all of the things that God reveals to us through Scripture over time, and then sometimes all of those things come together into this beautiful picture of God that we couldn't see with the individual elements. And God reveals his glory and he reveals himself in a new way that we couldn't have expected from all of these layers that he builds up over time. In fairness, I get to see this all the time, so don't feel bad if like, you know. I also happen to know that this painting uh, took over a year to make uh, because this, this particular artist is a, is a homeschooling mother. And so she did this in layers as well. And so I think about her and her family. They're close friends with us. I think about all that God revealed to them over the course of that. I think of our friendship and all the layers that were added to that. So when I see this painting, I think of the glory of God because it's reflected in the people who make it. Got it? Okay, so that's the last one. You can, you can be at ease. These pieces, they're all unique. They're all unique. There's not another one like it in all of history. These are unique expressions of the glory of God. There's no prints of them either. These are all originals. I'm going to make Keith delete the photos. So the only way that you can see these again is if you come to my house and have a meal with us. I would be happy 
uh, to share them with you. So these are unique expressions of God's glory made by unique image bearers who are also one of a kind, who are reflected God's glory in their making. And I want to encourage our artists. I'm so thankful for you. Our creatives, our painters, poets, writers, music makers, photographers, whether you're just starting to explore that type of thing, my, my 10-year-old is starting to do some songwriting. I think that's kind of cool. Or whether you're one of the practiced hands in the room that could make a painting uh, like this. I know that in a world of productivity and usefulness and progress, it can be really hard to see how your work contributes or adds value or how it compares to other gifts because you can't make sense of how, this, how can something like this express the gospel to other people. Maybe you stopped, had some conversations in the first service. Maybe you stopped at some point because someone told you it wasn't valuable. But hear me on this. What you bring into being, your making, in the creative work that you do is a reflection of the glory of God that he wants to do through you, only you. And in a sense, you're never more than what you were created to be when you bring these things into the world. You get to create for the Father and experience his glory for your good. And maybe, maybe he'll ask you to share it. It has nothing to do with bringing these things to other people. I would love to see it. I hope that he asks you to share it. For me, I went out to the, uh, I have a barn at my house, and part of my rhythm when I talk, I, I go out there and I, I, I pray, and I get a workout in to kind of get my mind flowing, and I like to sing, and when I sing, it, it kind of sounds like Sam DeFord. <laughs> I mean, it, it's identical. I, it's, it's freaky. But I love to sing to the Lord. And I asked the Lord this morning, hey, do you, do you want me to share this with the people? He goes, no, son. <laughs> That's just for me. Your father sees you. Keep creating. Keep creating. Start creating. If you put it down, pick it back up. The Lord wants to create something. He wants to express himself through you. And I know some of you aren't convinced with the whole art thing. In fact, I know some of you aren't because I can see you. But what is indisputable, because it's in Scripture, is the glory of God is shown through you, through your stories. This room is full of image bearers, many of which have the Spirit of God in you. Your lives are the same thing as these paintings. They do the same thing, in fact, in, but in an infinitely more powerful way, in some senses, because you're an image bearer. 2 Corinthians 3.6, this is how we know this. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. As you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not, with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Your life is what glorifies God, follower of Jesus. I had this moment, uh, some of you got to do the prayer thing with us this week, or come into the comments, and I was sitting at the back, I think it was Monday, Tuesday, 
And I just had this really overwhelming moment because I was looking out and I was looking at all of these image bearers that were in there praying to their father and knowing that the spirit of God is just working and churning and present within them. And it was just overwhelming, the glory of God in the room as a reflection of seeing his image bearers spend time with him. It was unbelievable. And so we can set the Lord ever before us by, by seeing what he's doing all around us. And then as that happens, as we set the Lord before us and we behold his glory, we start to feel that it's for our good, not just know it. And so here's how I want to close. I want to give us a few things that we can take, a, take away. Um, I actually like to do these on Sunday morning. It's, it's part of my rhythm of, of preparing when I'm not teaching, which is most days, uh, to kind of prepare my heart for worship. But I also love doing this with my friends, the people that I spend most of my time with. And I'm going to give you three things. The first is, where do you see the glory of the Lord? Where do you see? I want you to take time this week. I want you to practice this. Um, it doesn't have to be with art. I mean, with people that you're interacting with. All around you, God is moving. He's reflecting himself in creation. He's putting other image bearers that have the spirit of God in. God's glory is everywhere. And so I want you to take time this week, a few times a day, once a day, once, once, just once, and just pause, slow down, and just look. Just observe. Behold what God's doing. And then I want you to think about that and write it down. How's he working? How's he moving in a person? What do you see? Second thing, if you put yourself before the Lord, if you set the Lord always before you, he is going to ask things of you. Sometimes they're questions, sometimes they're commands, but he's going to talk. He's going to speak. What is he saying? What's coming to mind? I thought it was cool in uh, Sam and Audrey's testimony last week that they were, the Lord was asking these questions for some time, and, and they, were, they were recognizing that, and they were having that conversation and, and trying to understand what the Lord's will for you. If you put yourself in front of the Lord, He's going to speak. What is He saying? Third thing, what rhythms are helping you behold? What rhythms are helping you behold? So we're coming off this, this really great week, and I, I love it. I think it's great, of, of prayer and fasting, but... What are you going back to? So if you had a really amazing time with the Lord this week, what are the rhythms that you're going back to? Are, are they putting you in a place where you can behold what the Lord is doing? You need to change some things in the rhythms of your day. What do you need to do to set the Lord before you from our text this morning to behold? The testimony last week, they loved it. Uh, very full day there, my brother and sister. So I just getting to behold that was really special uh, for me. But, but our heart, I can assure you, their heart is that because we are a people who follow Jesus with our whole lives, who are beholding him and being transformed by him into the same image, that things like they share wouldn't really be wild or crazy or rare that they would actually be a common occurrence because the word of God is playing itself out in a people who are beholding of his glory. And if you don't hear anything I say, hear, hear this. This is the point. Our greatest participation in the story of God is often beholding it. Let's say this again. Our greatest participation in the story of God is often beholding it. We behold, the Spirit transforms and then we have something to offer the world. 
we can step into his invitation to join his work, whatever it is, big, small, who, who cares, right? We are with the living God in his presence. Beholding slows us down to the pace of Jesus. That's what beholding does. It slows us down to the pace of Jesus. And then counterintuitively, maybe, we bring God glory through subtraction, through decreasing ourself and Christ increasing in the story of our lives. So ushers, you can come on down. We're, we're going to do communion. And um, Denise, give me uh, the picture of that cup, that cup again. So we're going to move into a time of communion. And I want us to behold what it is that we're doing. I want us to set the Lord before us this morning. This cup is a picture of that. This cup represents the gospel. It represents a broken people, redeemed, restored, saved by the work of Jesus, a new creation that reflects God's glory to the world with Jesus holding it together. Jesus is the gold in this cup. So I want you to behold that as we're contemplating communion, as we prepare. Maybe, hopefully, in seeing God's glory this morning, you can see that it's for your good. You can see Jesus smiling at you. Because while it is devastating to think about our sin that caused the fractures that caused this to be broken and what he had to do to renew us. It's a good thing to think about. He did it because he loves you and he wants fullness of joy for you. So ushers, can you um, dismiss us? Let's grab our elements of communion and then we will take it together as we behold the work of Jesus. All right. So as the last few folks grab their stuff, would you stand with me? So there are a lot of beholds in, in the Bible, but a couple come to mind this morning. One, if you don't follow Jesus, there's one in Revelation 3. Some of you may be familiar with it. Jesus himself says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door... I'll come in and I'll eat with him and he with me. Put your faith in Jesus. He's worth following. Put your faith in him and then come with us and learn how to follow him. That's what we're doing here. Learning how to follow Jesus, learning how to be like him, doing what he did. That's what the church is. There's another behold that comes to mind for those who, who do follow Jesus and it's in John, and it's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away our sin. And so we take the bread together, remembering the broken body of Jesus. And we take the cup together, remembering the blood of Jesus. Yeah. That's good. And there is no fitting, better fitting. There's not a better response than to worship. And so I'm going to pray over us a psalm. And so you can close your eyes as we, I'm going to pray us out. And just listen, listen to these words, and then we'll, we'll break. Praise the Lord. 
I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. In Jesus' name, amen.